As we turn our attention to God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Micah chapter 5. I have no song to introduce this text this week. Um, Micah chapter 5 is one of the minor prophets, so you'll find them at the end of the Old Testament right before the New Testament. So if you go backwards from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you'll find Jonah, Micah, and Nahum um, are the books around Micah. And we'll be looking at Micah chapter 5. Um, many of us probably know Micah 6, 8 as a verse um, often can be used as a theme for different things, um, perhaps mission trips of what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. But today we're in an earlier part of Micah 5 that both contains hard news, hard realities of judgment that is coming and also a promise of peace that is also coming. And as Pastor Audrey mentioned uh, before the band led us in a, a, a musical version of the Magnificat, um, our other text is from Luke uh, chapter 1, uh, but we're going to come to that one at the very end. Um, so for now, we'll turn our attention to Micah chapter 5. Before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word that we ask the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to us, to speak afresh and anew to us today. Let's pray. God, in this Advent season of waiting and expectation, of anticipation and of joy, we pray that as we open the Bible this morning, may these words be met with our Advent expectation, with our hope and joy that you would speak to us even today, even us, that, that it is your love of us that makes you long to speak to us, to share a word with us, to build up our hearts, and to equip us for your kingdom purposes. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, open the scriptures to us today, O God, that we may hear your voice, and that our hearts may be connected with your heart that loves us so deeply and so fiercely. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient of times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land 
and march across our borders. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glasses, regular spectacles, or a telescope. Which one is more useful? Depends greatly on what you need them for. Um, I would say for me, as someone who wears glasses, um, whose children probably have a genetic predisposition to also probably need glasses and long pants, I find glasses very helpful on a day-to-day basis. Because without it, the world is a little bit blurry. There are details that I might miss. And only because I saw kind of who was where earlier and because we're creatures of habit can I confidently identify that like there's Karstens, there's Phyla and D, there's Mosses, Majors. Dave, I see you in the balcony. That's about it. Um, that was only because I saw you in the back earlier and like, okay, he's wearing a blue shirt. So, you know, um, almost blended in with the pews, but I still saw you. But glasses on the day-to-day allow us to see details. They allow us to see the world around us with a clarity that we would otherwise not possess. I use them daily. I wonder what I would miss if I wasn't wearing my glasses. Probably a lot. And I would also get headaches. Telescopes, also very useful depending on what you're using them for. It's not practical to walk around with telescopes over your vision at all times, and because I don't really need to see what's in the back corner of the multi-purpose room from here. A telescope is for special occasions, for times that you're going to set aside to, to gaze upon the stars, to take a closer look at the moon, to look at that which is far off in greater detail. Glasses, daily basis everyday life and living, what is near to us and close to us. Telescope reminds us, it humbles us just by remembering how small we are and how much goodness and beauty and majesty there is in creation. And where these are daily, this is a special occasion type of thing, to take a better look at that which is far off. Glasses to see what is near telescope to see what is far. There's immediate proximity, the the things that we would call imminent right here. And a telescope will help us look at that which is transcendent, above us and beyond us. And yet, something that we can still take a look at, even though I don't think very many of us, if any of us, will ever walk on the moon or on Mars, yet we can see it and be reminded of just how big the world is. And for us as Christians to to take a step back and, and just revel in the beauty of creation, to think we are small and God is so great. And the cosmos, the, the stars cry out with his goodness and his creativity. I think we can learn something from glasses and telescopes today. If, if we think about today being the fourth Sunday of Advent as we have traveled from week one of hope, two of peace, week three of joy, and week four of love, if we think about the lens with which we view the world, whether it be glasses or telescope, 
We, as people who follow Jesus, are to see the world through the lens of God's love. The lens of God's love should shape how we see the world, how we see our neighbor, how we understand everything around us. It should be shaped by the lens of God's love. You think about rose-colored glasses or you know, a more pessimistic version of that. We should be people whose lenses, our worldview, should be shaped by God's love. And this is an everyday occurrence and also a far-reaching, even to that which is beyond us, a far-reaching look to a hope and a future. We need them both, but in different ways. We need glasses to see our neighbor well. If we had glasses but no telescope, uh, we, we might burn ourselves out thinking that, that, that God's love has to be done through me all the time and that there's not really anything bigger or beyond us. We're not a part of a bigger story. If we just have glasses and no telescope, it is just us here right now. And what we do is done and what we don't do, well, it might not ever be done. Not a bad recipe for a work ethic, but also a very good recipe for burnout if you don't see yourself as a smaller speck of something even greater. Glasses without telescope lacks perspective. Telescope without glasses might make us a little bit fatalistic. Like, you know what? It doesn't really matter what I do, but God has a bigger, farther-reaching plan. I can look up at the stars and see them, they don't really have much bearing on my everyday life. I know they're out there and they're beautiful, and that's kind of what God's love is like. Telescope with no glasses makes us lazy, maybe makes us not care, maybe makes us take real pain and just cover it up with some niceties or platitudes to know, yeah, it's a bigger world out there. We need the up-close, everyday detail lens of God's love. And we also need to set aside special times and occasions to reflect on the greater and bigger plan that God has for our lives and for the world. To know that we are followers of Jesus, but we are, you are one person, we are one congregation among many, many others, many who are far off. And the same thing can be true with time. We have a difference to make with how we see the world right now with our lens of God's love glasses on to look around and see what we can do and to know that there is more to it than just us. To know that our predecessors and our successors will continue the good work of the gospel here in this place and those who are far off will continue their good work. I wonder if the people in Micah's day could have adopted the same idea of God's love being both in their everyday midst and that there was something bigger than them that they were also a part of. It would be hard to do in Micah's day. And even with what, what the prophet shares as inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to say to the people, there's some hard news in this. Marshal your troops now, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, what this means, this is not a king. This is, this is not about a king who dies heroically in battle or triumphantly against their foes. 
This, when the king or a ruler is struck on the cheek with a rod, it is when a city has been surrendered because it has fallen and the inhabitants have been captured. And then the striking on the cheek with a rod is not as much about the physical pain, but about the shame of defeat. That that is the greater pain being played out. That the city will have fallen. So marshal your troops, but you're going to lose. In your moment in time, with what your glasses can see, you are going to lose. This will be a battle that you simply will not win. And there will be defeat and shame and pain and repercussions from all of that. That would be a hard time to keep your lens of God's love glasses on, to see the world with any kind of hope, peace, joy, or love, when everything that you know is in ruin. Then verse 2 shifts us back over to what I would call the telescope approach. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, hard to see, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient of times. Meaning that there is something far off coming that is so much greater and better than what you know right now. There is a telescope type of hope. And at its best, when we see the big picture, when we get a glimpse of that, it should renew our hearts and restore us so that we can continue to see the world on the everyday basis of how we can love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourself. It's a telescope approach that, that someday, after, after this defeat, after this hardship, that there will come a ruler. And it just sounds epic, whose origins are from of old, from ancient of times. That's a good thing to look forward to. I wonder though for them, in Micah's day, they're looking forward to this thing. Like, you know what? Things are rough right now, but at least there will be hope on the way. Something good will come of this. Something will happen. They're looking forward to it. And we are looking back. Because for them, it was a long time until Jesus would be born. And for us, it's been a long time since he was born and died and rose again. We both could be looking at the same fixed point in time where Christ is at the middle of it, from the people in Micah's day to us today, and we're looking back at the same thing. And yet also for us, we should take some telescope time during Advent and in Christmas to reflect on the greatness of God's story and what that means for us, to be refreshed, that even though our chapter in this big story, our page or paragraph in the story of all of creation might be small in comparison, we are part of a much greater book. So we look back, but we also look forward, do we not? We look forward to Christ's return, when he shall make all things new. And as Revelation 21 puts it, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away and he will wipe every tear from their eye. We, with our telescope look, look forward to that. And we look back to remind ourselves, to anchor ourselves, to get our line of sight on Jesus as we look at Christmas. As we think about for Micah and his people in his day, they were sure hoping, even with wishful thinking, that out of Bethlehem would come a ruler who would redeem and restore. We can look back on that 
And also, that should give us our hope to look forward. But in all of this, to look through time and space with the lens of God's love. How do you see your neighbor? How do you see your part in a greater story? Or do we lose track that we're one fixed point in time of something much bigger? Who are your Assyrians? Assyria gets mentioned quite a bit in the second half of this passage of Scripture because they're going to invade our land and march through our fortresses. They're they're going to be present and among us and around us. Now, I don't think many of us have a daily concern with Assyrians. I don't think many of us are worried about them coming across our land or our fortresses. But Zechariah, another minor prophet, gives us a clue on how we might interpret Assyrians. Zechariah speaks of the Assyrians even though he wrote after the fall of the Assyrian Empire. But he uses Assyria as kind of this example of oppression and harm that is intended for us. In the same way that if we today talked about the Axis powers, World War II ended in 1945, but we understand what we're talking about. Assyria, strong, powerful, an opponent that means you harm. Assyria that's overwhelming, their army being among you and you living in some degree of defeat. I wonder if we have just some everyday Assyrian going on within us. If maybe one of our problems is that we get too busy, too caught up in our own world, uh, too focused and distracted on just what's in front of us, that we don't spend time for those telescope moments, that we don't take a step back to reflect, to, to practice trusting God with even though things might seem a little bit grim right now, there's something bigger at play. Or maybe we're discouraged and we're not sure about all that, so we're just going to keep our glasses on to the best of our ability and do everything we can. Or maybe we're just going to take our glasses off altogether and say, I can't make sense of the world. It's too hard. There's too much pain, and I don't think I can make a difference. And drop them all together. It takes both, both near and far, both what is and what will be, and what was, and what is yet still possible. And Christ is the answer to all of this. He will be our peace, says verse 5 when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. If we lived in Micah's day, we would want that to not have to happen at all. Why can't God just intervene and not let any of that happen in the first place? But rather, there's something powerful for us to pay attention to, that he, and this is talking about Christ, he will be our peace even in the midst of our enemies even in the midst of our busyness, even in the midst of competing priorities, even in the midst of people that we find downright frustrating, even in the midst of breakdowns within the family, even in the midst of a difficult diagnosis or an ongoing struggle with health, even in the midst of depression and anxiety, even in the midst of on and on and on. He will be our peace, even when the Assyrians are all around us, and that we will keep our lens of God's love on and that we will still find telescope moments to look beyond what is right now to what was and to what will be.
and they will live securely. Because he will stand and shepherd his flock, verse 4, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. This sounds good. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That things will be good again. Even though we might not see it right now. To know that things can be good again. Friends, there is a lot of pain in the world. And we can't look past it with a telescope. Faithfulness means that we keep our glasses on. Even when things are hard. Even when we wish maybe we could turn away a little bit more. We are not people who are called to turn away from pain, nor to ignore it, nor to try to telescope past it, but to keep your glasses on and look at it and see what you can do. And we're not people who are stuck left to do it all either. We've got a hope and a future beyond, but it started way before us as well. He will deliver them from the Assyrians says verse 6, that we will be delivered. And that Advent, this time of preparation when we're longing for Christmas, is a time to keep lighting another light, to give us something to go forward with, something to conquer the darkness with, to know that God does still have a further and good plan to prosper us and not to bring us harm and also to keep our glasses on for the everyday. I love this idea that he will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword, that, that Christ is our conqueror, that this baby who will be born in a manger is also the king of the world. And also, it's just always interesting when the word Nimrod comes up, because I think you and I probably know that more as an insult, you Nimrod. And yet, um, Nimrod in the Old Testament was a mighty hunter. Do you know why we actually use Nimrod as an insult? You can blame Looney Tunes for this. Bugs Bunny has a line in which he refers to Elmer Fudd, the hunter, as a Nimrod. He says it sarcastically. But the writer had to know that Nimrod was a mighty hunter. But because of Bugs Bunny's sarcasm, we know Nimrod as an insult. But check it out. Not the Bugs Bunny clip. Go look back for Nimrod in the Old Testament. He was a mighty hunter. But even that tells us something interesting. We might not see our story clearly every time. There might be obstacles that skew our lens of how God calls us to see the world. That we can so easily misunderstand what Nimrod means in a passage like Micah 5. Because our story, the lens through which we view it, might be viewed differently. It might be a little bit broken. So friends, clean your lenses. Whether it be the everyday that just needs to be polished off, maybe it's the I can't turn away anymore or I need to give attention to the everyday. Or maybe it's been a while since you've had a heart-to-heart -heart with God about the bigger and better things. Christmas is a great time to reflect back, to anchor ourselves on a telescope that saw a star long ago and what that star meant for us. Maybe you're caught up in the middle of everything. Maybe you're just too busy to care or pay attention. Then we need a telescope moment. 
I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what needs more attention, whether it's your glasses of the everyday or your telescope of the greater story. But I do know that all of us, without intentionality, will lose sight of this God's love lens on the world. So what is it for you? And what can you do about it this week as we go into Christmas? What lens needs to be shown a little bit more clearly? Where does some time and attention and focus need to go? And where will you be distracted away from where your priorities need to be most? That's different for every person. But what's the same for all of us is the temptation to avoid, to short-circuit, to gossip, or to just try to look past everything. So friends, mind your lenses, both near and far. And don't forget about what was or to look forward to what is. And don't excuse yourself from your opportunity to make a difference, to bring about the fruit of the Spirit, to see it all around you and to, to bring it to others. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe sometimes our glasses just need to see our kids playing nicely together and savor that small miracle of kindness. Maybe we just need to have one interaction with a coworker that doesn't leave us annoyed. Maybe we're a little bit too focused on that conversation that we wish we would have said this, that, or the other, or the things that keep us up at night when we reflect back on, ah, could have said it better that way. Glasses and telescope, near and far. Dust off your lenses and pay attention to the world around you. And know that it's not all up to you because it is Christ's love for us through which we see the world. That's why Mary's song is so beautiful and, and, and almost heavy with its weight. One thing that I notice in reading this is the ways in which there's allusions to Scripture that Mary makes that Jesus even picks up. That some of this language in the early 50s verses is going to sound a little bit like the Beatitudes if we're looking for it, if we're paying attention to it with our glasses, close-up lenses, and if we're thinking about the whole scope of Scripture, of bringing us from creation to ultimate redemption with Christ at the center of it all. So here are these words of Mary's song in closing. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Close up. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation far-reaching. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Let's pray. Lord, as Mary 
saw herself with the lens of your love in her one fixed point in time, yet she also could see by the power of your Holy Spirit that from generation to generation, your mercy would extend to all who fear you. Lord, as Mary drew upon the scripture that was deep in her heart, the scriptures that she had paid attention to and focused on, we hear an echo of what Jesus would tell us at the Sermon on the Mount, that he has filled the hungry with good things. Lord, that we are people who are supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness and that we will only be satisfied in you and that our vision will only be complete when we're centered in by looking at you. So give us the lenses that we need to see the world with your love, to see our neighbor with your love, to be reminded of this greater plan of salvation that you wrote from before the beginning of time. And with the prophet Micah, and with Mary, and with all who are yet to come on this earth, we look to you, Jesus, to be our hope, to be our peace, to be our joy, and to be love incarnate amongst us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.